Welcome to Strange Old World, the podcast where we eke out the eccentricity in some of the world's most visited cities. I'm Joe, and every fortnight I talk to a local expert in a different old world city and ask for their unusual travel tips. They'll share their pick of strange things to see and do, strange local festivals and foodstuffs, and so on and so forth. In this episode, we're talking about Prague. Founded in the 8th century, it's had a long and turbulent history, which means rich pickings for weird things to see and do. To get to the bottom of some of them, I spoke to local travel writer Mark Pickering. As you'll hear in the intro, Mark writes for lots of different travel publications and also has a book series out, The Little Book of Chenglish. A couple of quick things to mention before we get started. First of all, I also live in Prague, which is why I'm chipping in quite a lot. I've, I've got opinions. Secondly, there's some bad language in this one, as well as some bowel movement chat, some graphic details of pig butchery, and some harrowing World War II stories. As such, the jaunty stings sometimes feel a bit out of place. Sorry about that. Okay, on with the show. In this episode, you'll hear about all kinds of Prague oddities, from a statue of two pissing men to the tradition of whipping women. Mark's picks are up on our website, strangeoldworld.com, and stick around at the end for my favourite strange thing in Prague. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Pickering, author, freelance journalist and English language teacher in Prague. You've written about the city for all kinds of publications, including The Guardian, Vice and The Sunday Times. So my first question, the big question, what are you doing in Prague? Well, um, it's a good question because I came here about 14 years ago, uh, planning to spend about six months or a year here. Um, previously I was working in uh, men's magazines in London I was working for uh, lads mags such as Maxim or you, you may remember uh, a great uh, high <laughs> highbrow publication called Nuts and um, I was working for these and I was working at Maxim at the time in 2009 but then it closed down and so after that rather than try and get another job for another publication I thought let's Let's have an adventure. Let's move somewhere to teach a bit of English for a while, just to get out of journalism for a little bit. So I, uh, I came to Prague. Uh, a friend of mine, John, had uh, previously lived in Prague, and I visited him a couple of times, and he just seemed to teach a couple of lessons during the day and spend the rest of his time eating sausage and drinking beer. So I thought, okay, I can do that for a while. That sounds fun. So I came out here in 2009, did a uh, teaching qualification here, started teaching, and then 14 years later, I'm still here, still teaching English, and still enjoying it. Great. And was that the reality, the two hours a day and then sausage and beer? Is that, did that work out? Uh, initially it was as a TEFL teacher um, when you start out you have tend to have lessons maybe during the morning uh, before you know before offices start people have English lessons then and maybe after school so you have a lot of time during the day um, so often you, you just slip off and have you know a plate of goulash or a, a couple of beers not too many uh, I know I've done that a couple of times and that afternoon uh, lesson is maybe interesting but not, maybe not so accurate for the student and then the evenings are yours to just kind of hang about and explore the city so yeah in, in a way it really Really, it really did uh, meet kind of the expectations that I that John had uh, laid out for me in my visits to him. And so now you're teaching at uh, school uh, in Prague, teaching kids what kind of ages? So eight years ago, I got a job at a Riverside International School uh, teaching English and English literature. 
And so now I'm mostly teaching the senior highs. You know, between these years, 14 to 18, they're going through a lot of uh, changes. And they, um, and they don't have Nuts magazine to help them through it. They Well, I don't know if that helps anyone really. <laughs> I don't know how, how beneficial that is. But um, it's about getting a, a nice balance between that kind of respect for the teacher, respect for the student. You know, I try to I try to treat them like young adults rather than kids. And, and that usually works well. But mostly I just make fun of them and uh, and teach them a little bit of literature along the way. Perfect. Um, so you've been in Prague for, you said, 14 years? 14 years right? now, yeah. So what is it you love about the city? Why did you choose to make this your family home? Well, it's uh, it's difficult to say, really. I mean, I think a lot of people come to Prague uh, just for a short time and end up staying here forever. Um, Kafka, the writer who lived here and wrote here, said, you know, Prague gets its claws into you, which is kind of quite an aggressive metaphor, really. But I understand what he means. I, I think Prague is more like a big, like, warm, fuzzy blanket. Um, you, you, you arrive and you sort of envelops you in a kind of warmth and everything's kind of magical and interesting. And, and it's hard to kind of leave that blanket, so to speak. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got, you know, the tourists that come here they see old town they see charles bridge they see the beautiful architecture but there's so much more to it there's interesting characters there's little cozy dens to kind of um, nestle yourself into um there's interesting pockets and and there's a wonderful history as well not all of it positive um but there's a wonderful history to kind of find out about as well so it's just all in all it's, it's a great city very green as well people don't know this it's got loads of lovely parks um so it's just a, the complete city really really is yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Kafka's perhaps not your go-to for uplifting metaphors. No, no, he's he's a bit of a miserable guy. Um, yeah, and he's he's quite hard work. And you know, if you're going to write about being turned into a giant insect, then it's you probably got some some sort of deep psychological problem somewhere. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about your work. So you've written some some brilliant articles on Czech culture over the years, often covering quite niche topics like pig killing parties and ultras football fan culture and old tramping traditions. But one of my favourite things you've written is the Little Book of Chenglish, and of course the Little Book of Chenglish too, available now in all good, uh, albeit mostly Czech, bookshops, or mainly on Facebook. Can you explain the books and who they're for? Sure. Yeah, well, obviously I was teaching for a few years and as I was teaching, some of the same mistakes would crop up from students. They would make these mistakes when they were thinking they were speaking English, but they were just translating Czech sentences into English. So it didn't really work. So a classic example of that would be uh, when they said, instead of saying, um, I'm going to go to a cottage, um, you know, in the countryside, they would say, you know, last weekend I was on cottage in the nature and you know things like that it doesn't really trans translate very well so i would kind of pick up on all these mistakes write them all down and i kind of wrote a little book kind of detailing these mistakes and how to correct them alongside some kind of quite quirky little worm cartoons that i did just sort of making fun of czech people really uh, along the way it was really nice i like them a lot they're kind of light-hearted and humorous but also encouraging and positive like quite teachery really i was going to ask for balance do you wish to take this opportunity to share some of the embarrassing mistakes you've made speaking Czech, some of your Englek Oh, errors. man, there's too many to mention. My Czech's still pretty ropey, to be honest. Um, a good one was, um, I know, quite early on, maybe I'd been here three years or something, and I was at a friend's house in Moravia, which is a wonderful part of the country, and she disappeared upstairs, and she left me with her, her nieces and her, her mother and that. And so I thought, you know what, I'll just try out a bit of Czech um, just to kind of, you know, impress them. So I just pointed at the, the young niece, the young little girl who was probably about two years old. And I just went, Ona, ona je oškliva. <laughs> and they looked at me with horror. 
as I, and I kind of was like beaming a kind of kind of proud smile that I'd articulated this difficult check. And then I realized what I'd said to her is she is ugly. And then I quickly corrected myself. I was like, no, 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 no. Onaya Rostomala, Rostomala, which means cute, right? Because I'd obviously learned them in the same Czech lesson. I'd learned a bunch of adjectives, cute, ugly, and yeah. I just got them confused. And it was like the worst puzzle one to get confused. Um, so that wasn't, that wasn't a great moment, but you know, they saw the funny side of it eventually. <laughs> Can you please start me off with a strange thing to see in park? One one strange thing to see is is kind of uh, it's quite hard to see actually. It's little little sculptures by this Czech artist called uh, David Cherny. Um, amongst all the beauty and the kind of magnificent art architecture in Prague, sometimes you're just your eyes will catch a little subversive sculpture kind of lurking in the crevices of Prague. Now this guy David Cherney, he's kind of like um, a Damien Hirst style kind of controversial artist who kind of produces subversive artworks, just kind of commenting on you know um, political or social issues. So he's this kind of satirical guy who he owns actually he owns a meat factory, which is an amazing um, music venue converted from an old um, abattoir. He's also opened his own gallery recently called Museum, I think. Okay. Anyway, as an artist, he's he's always kind of creating a bit of controversy. Um, for, for example, he, he got commissioned to do the um, an art piece for the European Union. And so he took the money and went away to, to produce this wonderful art piece. So everyone was very expectant about what he would produce. And then when he unveiled it, everyone was horrified because what he'd done, he'd taken um, every country in the EU, all the member states, and he depicted them in some satirical way. Some of them were quite playful, but... Um, a couple of the kind of representations were, were kind of got, got a little bit of a, um, a gassed reaction. For example, he um, he depicted uh, Bulgaria as a squat toilet, and he he depicted Italy as a bunch of masturbating footballers talking about their obsession with football. So you know that didn't go down very well. And mm-hmm. um, France was on strike. I, I remember. That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I think the UK wasn't even there. I think they'd they broken away. Possibly. They were. All, they hadn't quite broken away, but I think they were actually. Pe- it was just like um, to be included or something like. It was just like right, um, okay. they're there. This but was not quite there. a long time before Brexit. But, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. on the cards. So that obviously didn't go down very well. So so his his, his artwork often uh, you know provokes controversy. Now all around the city you can. See his artwork kind of lurking. Like, for example, if you go towards Old Town Square, you can see an image of a hanging man who's kind of resembles Sigmund Freud. Um, you can see uh, in Vaslavsky Namisty, you can see the horse, but in the, a little arcade there, there's the same horse being ridden upside down, which is a comment on the kind of the, the stupidity of the, the president at the time. And well, maybe most notably, outside the Kafka Museum, there's a, there's a, a sculpture, um, you know, wonderfully titled "Piss," uh, which is features uh, a man who's peeing into a map of the Czech Republic and again it's he's obviously likes Czech Republic but he also comments quite critically on it um, mm-hmm. so he's, he's an interesting it's, guy it's still true back in the day you used to be able to text a message yeah. right and, and they wrote it out in we that's right that's right you can still do that I think yeah okay, yeah correct. so there you go there's something to do can you tell me a strange thing to do in Pog? Um, one thing I've done, which is which is quite strange. I mean, I think it's caught on with other cities now. Is a, a homeless walk through the city. This is this was organised by a, a charity called Pragulik. It gets a bunch of old kind of um, from homeless people basically. First of all, and a lot of these homeless people have problems. You know, they were drug addicts or or whatever. And you can pick a guide to go on the website. Pick a guide that you like the look of. There's a bit of a biography about them, and they will take you on a 
uh, alternative, basically, Prague uh, sightseeing tour around the seedier parts of Prague. So, for example, I, I selected this guy called Karim, which is um, he's probably the most famous famous there. He's a former drug addict and male prostitute. And you just join a bunch of, um, join a tour with him. It's about 500 crowns, uh, I think it is. And he takes you around, you know, all these uh, little dark nooks of, of Prague and tells you some anecdotes from his own life, some dark stories about how he was treated by his pimps. And he tells you some stories about celebrities who were, you know, caught you know, literally with their pants down in certain places. Uh, and it's just fascinating to kind of, you know, see the kind of the dark underbelly of Prague that lurks, you know, beneath the, the grand facade of the buildings. So I, that, that was really, really, uh, you know, insightful. At the end of the tour, uh, I don't know if he still does, but he, we ended up in the um, Café Louvre, which is a wonderful kind of old uh, grand cafe. And just to have a beer with Karim, ask him any questions. It was just, it was just a really wonderful experience. And, um, you know, whilst Prague is beautiful, it's also nice to kind of be made aware of the issues that some people face. And, and it's great to see people like Karim and the other guys sort of like earning money through this enterprise and uh, turning their life around in some way. Which parts of Prague do you go around? So here's one was mostly focused around the kind of Westminster Square, which is kind of like it starts at Main Station. The Main Station, um, a lot of people who've been to Prague maybe have been to Main Station if they've taken a train trip or whatever. It's quite a seedy place in itself. It's known as um, Sherwood Forest because people steal from the rich to give themselves. Didn't know that. Um, so the tour started there and it made its way to Westminster Square, and along the way it kind of pointed out, as I said. Um, kind of cafes or bars that are frequented by kind of celebrities who who want to kind of um, explore some kind of you know nefarious um, illicit activity. He talks about where he would meet his pimps and where uh, he was beaten, for example. Is it a charity? Do you know how it works in terms of the funding? Per tour, I think I, I don't know the percentage, but per tour, you know the um, the, the guide like Karim, for example, he would he would take. I don't know, maybe 50%, and the other half goes towards helping support homelessness as an issue in Prague. So that's fantastic. roughly what it is. Can you recommend a strange festival or event or tradition in Prague? Well, there's lots of interesting and strange events. Um, like, for example, at Easter, the uh, the beating of women uh, with long sticks to kind of preserve their beauty. That's that's obviously a very strange tradition. But that's not the one I maybe want to talk about. Is the, the most probably the most interesting or strangest event I've been involved in is a thing called zabiachka, which you mentioned at the start. It's uh, about pig killing. Um, basically, zabiachka means pig slaughter, and it's a tradition that's gone back centuries. And what happens is around winter time. Um, the old villages kind of fatten up the pig and they get together as a, a community, as a village or an extended family and they kill a pig and they then use every part of that pig and store the meat to last them the winter. That's how traditionally it was. So these 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 Zabiachkas are still um, still going uh, throughout Prague. They're more of a village thing, um, not so much in Prague centre, but still you can still see Zabiachka food being offered. From very early on in the morning, the village or a group of community will get together and they will they will kill the pig, um, which is done in a humane way. It's it's not it's not the pig doesn't suffer. Uh, I went to one in Moravia. Uh, I was staying with a friend and it was organised by a, a, her father. Anyway, it's seven o'clock in the morning. Everyone's up early. We go to uh, this kind of courtyard and basically a, a bunch of men, these guys in terrible check jumpers, all kind of like dived on top of this pig and the pig was was killed. 
and straight away the weirdness start because there's one one guy uh, the guy who didn't really fancy holding the pig down he was tasked with uh, swirling a bucket full of blood so as the blood was coming out of the pig's neck this is very nice uh, no, very nice <laughs> imagery uh, he had to stir the blood to stop it congealing because that blood would be later to be used for a um, thing called pritalachka which is kind of a, a blood soup mm-hmm. made, have made. you had it? I have had it I have had everything and actually it's, it's quite good it's not, it's not too, it's not too I found my wife's family do this mm-hmm. And the blood soup was kind of point at which I was like, I think I'm done here. Yeah, no, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Well, that's just one of the products. I mean, what, what happens is is after the pig is killed, you know, they're usually kind of the, the local butcher um, kind of oversees everything. And the butcher we had was an amazing guy. He was just like this huge guy. He looked like Brendan Gleeson from like uh, Gangs of New York, uh, the butcher in that. He was just this huge guy with his massive arms. And he would just, you know, basically take apart this pig. It started off hanging up uh, in the back. And by the end of it, you know, it was nothing. And basically every part of this pig was being used to create some kind of pork products, whether it was sausages like um, yellito or it was like um, all the offal was boiled up to make some kind of food or quite interestingly one of the, the my favorite things and the bizarre one of the most bizarre things was um brain on toast uh, i think that's the first <laughs> thing we had it was about like 10 o'clock it arrived the brain had been taken out it had been sort of cooked up a little bit and served with egg on toast and i've got to say it was delicious it was my favorite thing ah, probably. is it distinguishable the brain and the scrambled egg yeah it's well it's a bit like it's yeah it's gonna mix, mix together it's a bit like you know like you know get some 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 egg and then you pour in some like some cheap kind of bits of sausage so all throughout the day all these random products are being made and you taste them and a lot of them go into storage and you eat them later but what's really kind of strange about it and well for me as a kind of a guy who who's from England who likes to go to pubs and stuff is the kind of the sheer amount of alcohol that was involved in this event from seven o'clock as soon as the pig was killed out would trot a little lady well not just some random lady it was probably the wife of someone who was involved with a tray of slivovitsa which is plum brandy which you know you, you taste you can't really taste any plum you just taste kind of this fiery just alcohol, alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's that kind of set the tone for the day. Seven o'clock in the morning, uh, a tray of slivovitz. Everyone has one. Now this tray would keep resurfacing every 20, 30 minutes. So as well as the beer that was being consumed. So throughout the whole day, you'd probably drink about twenty shots of slivovitz and a whole bunch of beer whilst eating brain and uh, blood soup and all other weirdness. And at the end of the night, it was wonderful. The one I went to, it was. Um, everyone's kind of really in a good mood by then as you can imagine bleary eyed out comes the guitar which is a very kind of Czech thing and everyone's gathered around kind of um, snuggled up warm um, and you know some old old Beatles songs and old Czech folk songs were played and it was just a, a really nice way to finish the evening it was wonderful so Zabiachka if you ever get the chance to do it do it even if you're a bit squeamish it was just an incredible event fantastic I know you wrote about this event for uh, Vice Mm -hmm. So I'll put a link to that article in the podcast description so people can read more if they want to. Uh, You did briefly mention about the whipping at Easter. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe that (laughs) that might need a little bit more explanation. So maybe you can just... uh, Give me a bit of context. Why are women being whipped? Yeah, this isn't some like sort of mad domestic abuse issue. It's it's a tradition in Czech Republic um, at Easter time. Before midday, all the men in the village would go around um, house to house with a special um, stick called pomlaska, which is kind of a whipping stick. And it's kind of a, a stick made from twined wood, which has ribbons on the end. Uh, and basically, 
they knock at the doors and they, they basically here to, to whip the women and by that whip them and just beat them on the backside basically now you'd think the women would be really annoyed about this or, or, or turn them away but a lot of these women are actually grateful of this because of the uh, by being whipped they're supposed their beauty is supposed to be preserved and what tends to happen is they kind of um, you know show their, their bottoms and, and get in a position to be whipped the men whip them and then this is even funnier because after that they kind of thank the men for whipping them by giving them Slivovitsa plum brandy or some other alcohol and some eggs so it's like kind of thank you for that you've preserved my beauty here's a gift for you but the problem with it is because everyone's drinking these shots you know by 12 o'clock you go around these villages and you just see a load of drunk men stumbling around like crazy it's it's bizarre yeah and there's the common theme of Slivovitsa across every festival beer and Slivovitsa is always part of it I would say back in the day you know women would wear multi-layered skirts so I think the whipping was very much uh, Mm. you know you wouldn't feel it but there is I do know there's a little bit of a movement against this now because you have essentially quite quite often quite quite drunk men whipping women in joggers or or jeans yeah they get a bit uh, aggressive getting a bit carried away so it is a is a very cherished tradition in many places but there is also a bit of a movement to mm. perhaps uh, make the the whipping i don't know like simulated rather yeah, than, yeah, than yeah. a reality absolutely yeah yeah can you tell me a strange thing to eat or drink in prague well, Prague is known for very hearty food. Everyone knows about kind of goulash and, you know, like schnitzel and things like that. Um, but the thing that kind of... I, I found it strange when I first came here was this thing called nakladni hermelin, which hermelin means like um, camembert, basically. Mm-hmm. And nakladni means pickled. So pickled pickled cheese, basically. And almost every pub, particularly traditional pubs, would have uh, in the fridge, behind the bar, a big kind of jar of these discs of pickled cheese kind of floating around floating around in this weird kind of oil. So you have it and you get it on a plate and it's kind of dripping with oil and you get it on the top is like a some maybe some onion, maybe some peppers and you get some bread to eat it with and it looks very odd. Um uh, but when you when you kind of you know get a bit of the cheese off and, and, and mix it with the bread and, and eat it, it's just it's wonderful. It's just really, really tasty. Um, and it's it's a great kind of it's called like a, a beer accompaniment. There's on a menu in Czech Republic, you get a, a little side a side order list, which is like good for good with beer. So it's something you'd order. Just like you're, you're out with friends in the pub, you're a bit hungry, you don't want a big massive meal, so you get some Nakladni Hermelin, and it's just it's just really tasty. I think. I agree. I really like it. I think um, a lot of people are put off because it says pickled, which I think people often think it will be vinegar. Mm. Um, and actually, if you get the pickled sausage, then that is vinegar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not a massive fan of that. Uh, but the Nakladni Hamelin is fantastic. I yeah. like it a lot. I tried to make my own one a few mm-hmm. months ago. Uh, actually, me and my wife did it. We both kind of did the competition who could make the best one. So she made it in a more traditional way and hers was very nice. And I made it and I decided inside I wanted to put um, sun-dried tomatoes as a kind of cheeky little alternative. Mm-hmm. And it was very tasty, but obviously the the the, water, the oil was just all covered red by that. So it looked like this kind of blooded uh, jar of, of, it looked awful. It looked like some kind of serial killer's lab uh, with body parts floating around. So it was tasty, but maybe not as aesthetically uh, interesting as the normal normal one. Okay, fair enough. How long did you pickle it for? I think about three weeks which, okay, which I think good. which I think was fine. Uh, yeah, if you, if there's a sweet spot, right? Because yeah. I think you do sometimes go to a pub where they've clearly just put it in a, a few days before, and it's kind of had very little effect. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to others where it almost tastes mouldy because yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. got very, very soft. No, absolutely. So there's definitely a sweet definitely, spot in between. Definitely, I think about three weeks seems to seems to be the trick. Yeah. 
So next up, can you tell me about a strange myth or legend or slice of history in Park? Uh, there's probably lots of myths and legends, but um, for me, the most fascinating part of Czech Republic is, is probably its history. Um, some of it's strange, obviously some of it's quite upsetting, um, but like uh, the most fascinating story uh, for me is probably the story of um, the assassination of, of Reinhard Heydrich. If you know this, mm-hmm. this this story, obviously, um, just to, just to give you a bit of a, a brief um, overview. So obviously, during during the Nazi um, reign, uh, Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia was under a Nazi protectorate. They were basically being controlled by the Nazis, and the head of that was um, was a guy called Reinhard Heydrich. So obviously, the Czech people, uh, some of them decided they want to get rid of him. So what happened in England? They trained these paratroopers um, to go on an assassination mission called Operation Anthropoid. And they trained them, and they had all this uh, mission planned out. And the paratroopers, they arrived, they landed down, but they landed in the wrong place. Um, so that was the first blow. Anyway, they found their way to the way they wanted to be in Prague, and they waited for their opportunity. Now, Heydrich would take this, um, this route every day in his car, and they realized that would be a good spot to try and assassinate him. And uh, so they got in place, these two guys, uh, one was called Gabchik, and one was called Kubish. They jumped out, uh, one of them had a gun, tried to shoot him, the gun jammed, it didn't go off. The other one threw a bomb, missed him, and exploded sort of just behind the seats of Heydrich's uh, where he was sitting. So it looked like an operation that failed, and they ran off. As it turns out, bizarrely, they did manage to kill Heydrich in this mission because the, the bomb uh, was underneath the seat, the fibres from the seat went up and basically went into Heydrich's bum and poisoned him. But the problem is, is like it's it's a very sad kind of ending to that story because um, they tried to the Nazis obviously were were livid and tried to find out who did this and how they could get them back. So they tried to find out where these guys were and they got a tip off um, that they were hiding in a place called Lidice, which is a small village just um, outside Prague. So they went to Lidice and just it was it was brutal. It was horrible. They um, they got all the men out and they just gunned them all down and they took all the women and children away um, to um, to camps. And they raised the entire village down to the ground so that it would be wiped off the face of history. As it turns out, they weren't even hiding there. So the story continues in a really interesting way because they're still looking for these guys. And eventually one of the paratroopers betrayed them and they said, yes, they're hiding in a church, uh, the church of Cyril and Methudia. So they went there and um, they were hiding in the crypts underneath. So first of all, they tried to flood out, uh, flood these guys out with water. That didn't work. Eventually, all these Nazi guys stormed in. There was a big gunfight. Um, some of the men were killed. Some of the paratroopers were killed. Some took cyanide to, to end their own life. So it's a very, very sad story. Strange is probably the wrong word, but it's a really sad but interesting uh, story. Um, and you can still go to that church actually now. There's a wonderful little exhibition detailing the whole story of the assassination of um, Heydrich. And you can still see the bullet holes in the in the in the church walls, and um, just to learn a bit about Czech resilience and um, them trying to kind of defend their their nation. So I'm going to ask for your what I call stranger danger. So any customs of visitors to Prague that might be perceived as strange by the locals. There's probably quite a few. Um, one one thing that, that that stands out, and and my my wife talks about this one as well, is that the Czechs find it really strange. I think when you excuse yourself to go to the bathroom, you know, you sat at a pub table, and it's mm-hmm. kind of typical in England anyway to say, "Excuse me, I'm just going to the bathroom." Or "Excuse me," and they find it really weird that you would just excuse yourself. Uh, Czechs, they just slip off, which I find weird. You know, I found weird first of all. Like you're just there, and suddenly. 
you've half finished a conversation and the person you were just slipped off it seemed like a bit rude but in Czech it's the other way around yeah that's an interesting one what is actually objectively ruder yeah. to interrupt a conversation and say hello I'm going for a shit <laughs> or yeah. to just kind of quietly yeah. slip off yeah I know but the, the weird, this is the weird thing though because um, I've been with Czechs in someone's house and they've got no problems with just saying like um, you know potrebuju uh, kakat which means like <laughs> I need a poo, you know, and they just disappear. Like this is been, adults, adults, is not adults, priest, not kids. This is sounds like what kids would do in England, but like adults, they just announce to the room, "I need a poo. I'm going for a poo," and off they disappear. You know, like no qualms about that at all, which I find really weird. Like you know, British people are quite reserved, but surely just saying I'm going to the toilet is enough. But actually specifying exactly what's going to come out is is even more alarming. I yeah, think. you need to know. I also like the euphemism because in English, British English at mm. least, we have number one and number two yeah I don't know what number three is combination maybe combo maybe vomiting (laughs) I don't know four screaming I don't know but here you have big big toilet and small toilet yeah yeah. that's nice that's nice that's nice yeah so uh, yeah you can go off and say you say I'm going for big toilet for massive toilet (laughs) (laughs) massive yeah like how big how big toilet yeah. you know, like, you know, you know you need to it's specify quantify um, everyone gather around the bowl at the end yeah 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 we can, uh, we can quantify that okay so can you recommend a strange day trip from Prague one of the best day trips from Prague I think is going to Kutnohora Kutnohora is a town about about an hour away from Prague, east of Prague. Uh, it's a beautiful town. Uh, it's got a lovely church there. It's got a silver mine. Um, it's It's got a really nice bridge, which kind of resembles uh, Charles Bridge with lots of interesting kind of statues of apostles and things like that. But the most interesting and strangest thing uh, aspect of that city, that town, is um, the crypt, the bone church, the ossuary. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. It's, I mean, the story is kind of a bit drenched in myth, but basically the, this church was has been there for years. Since the 14th century, I think it started there and over time it got demolished and rebuilt and during this time there were epidemics there were plagues and people were dying and they would just dump them in these mass graves basically um, so there was all these skeletons just around there and eventually they decided to put them in the crypt now a bit later on I think in 1870 this woodcutter this woodcarver was tasked with um, with arranging these bones they're just piles of bones so he went to town on this you know it wasn't like just you know putting them in nice piles like some cleaning he decided to to decorate the entire crypt with these bones in these elaborate and weird structures so basically he would form these bones into a kind of coat of arms or a chandelier or it, it was it's bizarre so you go there the whole place is bones but it's all in these strange shapes um, it's kind of macabre but just like just very odd and brilliant could you imagine like you just you know you find that your ancestors were buried there and you think you know what I'll go there and then you look up and oh look there's Pavel's jawbone that's part of this chandelier oh it's what he would have wanted you know it's just like it seems so disrespectful do you think there's competition among like the people who have relatives like well well, my great granddad's in the chandelier yours is just (laughs) one of the piles that make up the crypt in the corner I remember when the first time I went, there was like a, like cages in front of these piles of bones. And so when you take a picture, obviously you often get the cage and you don't want to do that. So I tried to maneuver my hand like inside the cage a little bit. So I'll get my hands like through the cage to take the picture. But unfortunately I, I hit it like, you know, like, a, like I was in the crystal maze or something. And then a sensor went off and it, an alarm went off. So I quickly kind of got my hand out and sort of disappeared into the crowd. You hit the bar, you didn't hit a bone. I didn't hit a bone. You didn't no, I, hit, a bone. I, I hit, okay. the, hit the bar, but obviously that was linked to a sensor. So that was a bit embarrassing. But it's, it's, it's just such a weird place. It's, it's really worth seeing. It's, it's, it's fascinating. 
Dokončete prosím výstup a nástup. Dveře se zavírají. So that's the strange stuff done. Can you give me a few straight up recommendations for Prague? The things that you think people shouldn't miss? Uh, well, one thing is, is, I mean, it's in the guidebooks, but it's, it's something that might you might not go to. And I know this a lot of this is based on pubs and beer, but that's kind of the cultural probably mm-hmm. the culture that I really like. But so it's there's a pub in Prague. It's called Uzlati Hotigra, uh, the Golden Tiger, and it's kind of a, um, right in the center of Prague. And it's kind of the the archetypal original Czech kind of tavern, you know, kind of like a small corridor kind of pub, a very simple pub with a kind of beer tap and a bunch of seats just rammed in there. And this pub is 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 known because over the years they've taken presidents there. I think Bill Clinton went there uh, to show him a typical Czech pub. And it's it's bizarre because it's so popular. If you want to go there, it opens at three. You can, you can go and queue outside. And go in at three. Now I don't know about you. I, I've queued to get in a nightclub, maybe, but I've never queued to get into a pub at three p.m. in the afternoon. You know, it's just bizarre. You think, what am I doing? This you really... fit, normally you think your life had gone a bit wrong. It would definitely, and especially as there's so many pubs in Prague. It's like, what am I doing? Why don't I just go to the pub just there? I can see another pub just there. Anyway, you go there, and it's just, it's just, it's just really good because the, the guys that so that they just bring you this kind of frothy pills, and you don't even ask for it, and um, and then you you've, you've had about four sips, and they bring you another one. It's just like constant shuttle of beers. There's all this kind of noise and, and clamor around the pub, and it's all these kind of Czech guys. It's full of locals just telling these stories, and it's like this. This is what I love about Czech culture. It's it's, it's very much a storytelling pub culture where they just share anecdotes about what happened to them in Tesco, or tell a story about them, you know, falling over the other day. There was actually a writer there that I really like called Bohomil Hrabal, mm-hmm. my favorite Czech writer, and he wrote these stories all about this kind of culture, this kind of the, the quiet loner who kind of embeds himself in these pubs, the kind of loud raconteur who's also part of this gang. And, it, and it, he, he used to drink in this pub for many years until he died, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago. But um, his books embody this this kind of Czech spirit. Um, I went there, I think the last time I went there was quite funny because on the next table there was a, a, a bunch of women, I think they were from America, and they went in there, sat down, and they said, oh, can we have some wine, please? And the, the bartender, uh, he, he nearly had a heart attack. You, know, you can imagine they're just like pressing some emergency red button at the back of the bar because there's no way they have wine there. They serve Pilsen. It's ma- amazing tank Pilsen. And they must have just had to shuttle off to a, a local uh, Potrovini and buy a, a, a box of wine just to, just to give them something. Another thing that people maybe don't see in Prague when they come and visit for a weekend because they just go to the kind of tourist hotspots is just like the parks in Prague. Prague has got some incredible parks. Um like Letna, Stromovka, um, Grabovka. There's there's so many great parks um, and there's so much going on there. There's people inline skating, there's people cycling, there's people having barbecues, uh, picnics or whatever. It's it's they're really they're really wonderful places to hang out. Uh, Letna's a, a great one. There's there's a, a Letni Letna, which is a kind of a acrobat and circus event that happens every summer. Um, and they have a great beer gun that oversees the whole of Prague, which is great. But my favourite is probably Stromovka. It's just massive uh, very beautiful it's just been renovated in, uh, in the last few years and it's it's just just uh, there's just so much going on there you can walk the dogs you know you can go running it's just huge and there's just so much life and enthusiasm there parks is a great recommendation there's so many good ones yeah letna has beautiful views over over the town i think with devoka Shaka, i don't know if you'd count that as a park it's more like a kind of nature reserve or something yeah it's kind of a nature reserve on the edge of town but it is it's like you said earlier it's a surprisingly green city yeah absolutely it's brilliant I mean, Devoka Shaka is quite—it's uh, quite good to go into the outdoor Lido there. There's two kind of adjoining pools. One of them is cold, the other one is freezing. So it's just—it's <laughs> just just brace yourself if you're going to go swimming in this pool.
Why should people visit Prague now? Are there any events that are currently happening or coming up soon? There's events happening all the time in Prague, um, and that's that's maybe one of the reasons why it's, it's great to come to come now or, or soon. When I first came 14 years ago, it was very limited. It was brilliant, but very limited. There were smoky Czech pubs. This was a time when you could smoke in pubs, and you go in, and just a big waft of, of, of smoke in every every corner. Uh, the food you could get was basically this hearty Czech uh, food with kind of meat and potatoes and dumplings. And like occasionally there'd be Chinese restaurants dotted about if you wanted a change, but it was very limited. And now, now it's just you can get every kind of cuisine you want um, from all over the world. The craft beers taken off as as it's taken off in the rest of the world. So you can get really interesting different ales and and whatnot. You can. What's what's really nice actually is um, the Vietnamese community is quite a big community in Prague and Czech Republic generally. People maybe don't know this, but. Um, when I first came, it felt like they 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 would have their potravinis, which are the local local shops selling, you know, like um, corner shops selling like fruit and vegetables and whatever, and um, clothing shops selling kind of cheap clothes as well. But they didn't really do the Vietnamese food much then. Often Vietnamese people will be running the Chinese yeah, restaurants, thinking badly. that Chinese, yeah, exactly, terribly. But they're thinking that that's what people want. Oh, Chinese food! Everyone wants Chinese food. And over the last few years, we've seen how these Vietnamese people, some of them, have opened up their own Vietnamese restaurants, and they've just taken off like crazy. The food is wonderful. Everyone's going mad for it. And like you speak to like local Czechs, and they say, "What's your favorite restaurant?" People will say "Pho" in Letna or whatever. It's it's just there's so many Vietnamese restaurants and, and takeaways now. It's really taken off in a big way, and that kind of that kind of shows what the city is about now. It's it's about like a different experience. You can you can it's not just Prague as it used to be. It's just a international kind of gentrified experience. Uh, still got the old kind of pockets of tradition, the old kind of hovels and taverns, but it's also got these other opportunities for food, drink, experience, culture, whatever. In terms of a time of year to come, is there a particular season you like or a particular month? Well, the thing is, this is another thing I really love about Prague. It's so seasonal. Every season has its own magic to it. Like you go to England, it's just we've got one weather. But in Czech Republic, there's four very distinct seasons. You know, you've got the spring uh, with its kind of like um, cherry blossom trees. And you've got, you know, they have the day of love uh, on May the 1st when everyone meets under the cherry blossoms and kisses uh, their loved ones. And then you've got like the summer, which is really hot, actually. It's really hot in summer and there's so much going on. So the outdoor swimming pools, um, you've got places that outdoor beer gardens you've got outdoor festivals beer festivals food festivals wine festivals so much going on in the outdoor spaces autumn uh with its kind of autumnal colors and you know as we said the parks are just beautiful here um it really comes alive and then winter there's a really big kind of a winter winter place with lots of sporting activities snow the snow is a picture postcard beautiful um you know you can go to the christmas markets you drink hot grog Again, all of these experiences are equally wondrous, and you know it's not like they're the best time to come. If you if you don't like if you don't like the cold, don't come in winter. Obviously, if you don't like the heat, don't come in summer. But you know, any season, there's something beautiful um, about it. I've got a bonus question for you. Okay, go on. Czech Republic or Czechia? Czech Republic, Czechia. I think like, most most of the Czechs hate it. You know, it sounds like Chechnya. Um, and yes, I was going to say. I think it's. I mean, for people who don't know, this was. Uh, I think it was 2016 when the government basically announced that they want to be known as Czechia internationally. Mm. It's kind of gone that way a bit. Like Google uses Czechia. I know the new Lonely Planet guidebook is Prague and Czechia. Mm. I've tried to kind of hold hold it back with some of the guidebooks I work on and yeah. say no, 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 I stick to Czech Republic. Uh, but as you say, locals don't like no. it. No, no way. Um, what do you think? Are we are we checky bound? Is it? Is it, it looks like it looks that. Force? It looks that way, like a lot of things. But um, 
still, there's still you see when you see sports coverage and uh, there's still the Czech Republic often rather than Czechia so there's it's just like it's like a halfway house at the moment there's some people using it some people not but uh, I think ultimately it will be Czechia and people have to just uh, swallow that up but um, yeah I think so anyway it's Czechia not Chechnya all right finally to end on something strange what's the strangest sight you've seen elsewhere in the old world trying to pick one is, is difficult obviously um, but let's go with something that I experienced in Japan now Japan's a very weird place as, as you probably know there's mm-hmm. lots of weird and wondrous things in Japan so a wonderful place to visit um, now I went there I don't know maybe 15 years ago and I was staying with my friend Rich uh, who's sadly no longer with us but um, we went to stay with him in Kyoto I had a wonderful time in Kyoto towards the last night uh, maybe the night before he said okay I've got a treat for you my treat is that I'm going to treat you to some uh, Japanese buto and I'm probably saying that wrong. B-U-T-O-H. What is it? It's like, oh, it's an inter- interesting Japanese tradition of improvisation and dance and drama. I'm like, okay, let's go for it. So we went there and we we're all kind of crammed in this kind of room, which wasn't very big. And in the, in the middle suddenly appeared this man, this artist, I guess, this actor, who was kind of uh, completely white-faced and white-bodied. He looked like he'd been covered in flour. And he was wearing this very kind of like pornographic style loincloth, which wasn't covering an awful lot. And for basically two hours, he was just writhing around the room, beating himself and uh, with occasional drum, you know, occasional drum. And when you say beating himself, I mean, I mean, like hitting himself, like, like almost like hitting his chest or or pounding himself or or contorting in some way. He looked like he was going through some kind of terrible or mental ordeal. Mm -hmm. Um, I later found out that's that's part and parcel of it. It's about kind of. Uh, experiencing distress but the problem is I was in distress watching it because it was just like okay got it that's weird but it was it just went on and on and on for like almost two hours like I say and it's just it was interesting to see but very very weird and so I don't know if I'd recommend you going to see it if you're ever in Japan maybe just watch some YouTube clips of it um, rather than sitting through two hours of Flower Man beating himself we have it strange old prague a huge thanks to mark pickering for his suggestions by the way if you want to try the nakladni hermeline that's the pickled cheese mark recommends a traditional pub near the castle Uvaverki. and if you want to experience zabiachka the pig killing i'm told there are regular events held at hudera asin butchers there's more information about these and all mark's suggestions along with links and a map up on our website strangeoldworld.com If you'd like to read some of Mark's great Czech travel articles, you'll find links in the description. His books are at facebook.com forward slash littlebookofchenglish, spelt CZ English. On a side note, if you're looking for more straight up travel tips, check out the Prague episode of DK Eyewitnesses Where To Go podcast, featuring me. Before I go, let me share my favourite strange Prague attraction, the mummified arm in the Basilica of St. James. The story goes that one night, a thief tried to nick jewels from the statue of the Virgin Mary when she suddenly sparked into life and grabbed his arm before turning back into stone. As he couldn't be freed from her grip, the limb was lopped off, then hung above the entrance as a warning to all would-be intruders, don't mess with the Virgin. Whether you believe the story or not, one thing is undeniable. There is a withered black arm hanging from the church roof. Honestly, go see for yourself. Okay, that's enough for today. I'm off for a number three. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time on Strange Old World. The music is by William King and this was a Junior Productions production.